Let me pray for us as we begin. Let me read from Isaiah chapter 53. The Word of God reads, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Thank you, Jesus, that for our sake, you were despised and rejected, that you came to earth to be not exalted, but a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And the whole world hid their faces from you. They esteemed you not. And though it is us that have turned away from you, it is you who have chased us by living and dying on the cross for our sake. We exalt you. Reveal yourself to us today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, it's good to see you today on Good Friday. Thank you for joining us. You could be anywhere else on your public holiday. Uh, it's awesome that we can uh, think about Jesus today. Uh, can we briefly turn to the people around us and greet them and say hello, um, especially if you don't know them too well? And a special kind of hello to the kids. Any kids here joining us today? Yes, yes, good to see you. All right, they're not as excited as I am that they're here. <laughs> it's great to have the kids here. We don't have kids ministry as we, we explained, um, but hopefully, you know, if, you're, if you're, you're here with your parents, I just want to encourage you, try to listen. Some things you may not understand, um, but the questions that you have, go home and ask your parents. Right? This is a great learning opportunity for you to be like, what did he mean when he talked about this? Why did you, you know, go to the front and, you know, take that little thing and eat the bread? What does it mean, right? It's good to ask those questions and for the parents to use this as a discipleship opportunity. Well, today is Good Friday, and today we, we remember the cross. You know, today is all about remembering Jesus who died for us on that tree. And by the way, if I cough... I've got a slight thing. I did a rat daily lately, and it's negative. Just, you know, just, just letting you know. You know, but sitting here at the cross, you know, this isn't something we, we really often get to do. We do talk about the cross, hopefully, at Kingsway often, um, except maybe through the series through James. 
because, you know, it's an epistle of straw. Um, we do talk about the cross, but often we, we kind of pass through it on the way to the resurrection and, you know, the promises and the glory that came after it. You know, we often see the cross on the other side of the empty tomb. Yes, Jesus died, but he, he rose again, right? Yeah, he, he suffered, but he was exalted. You know, he took our sins, but he paid the price, right? Often we, we jump quickly to, you know, all the good things that came about it. And you can't really detach the cross from the resurrection. I'm not saying we should. Um, but today, particularly on Good Friday, we're going to try just to sit at the foot of the cross, just to specifically look at Jesus you know, hanging on the tree and why it mattered to us and why we should, kind of in our hearts, be sorrowful and at the same time be joyful at this moment. So let's do that. Let's sit at the cross together to pause and reflect. So that's where we're going. We're going to a place called Calvary or Golgotha. It was just outside Jerusalem walls. It was a place where criminals went to be crucified, where criminals went to die. It was kind of a public place where the, the people who passed by could see who was on the cross and kind of mock them you know, and jeer at them. It's a place of judgment. It's a place of torture, of pain and tears, regret and remorse. It's a place of death and despair. It was a place where hope was squeezed out of a person one breath at a time. And it's a place where we find our king, where we find our savior, It is there we find our God. Already to get to this place, Calvary, and to be on the cross, Jesus had endured far worse than most of us could ever imagine. He was betrayed by those closest to him, abandoned, falsely accused. He was beaten, flogged, mocked, and there he was crucified. Cicero, a famous orator, once said this about the crucifixion. He said, to bind a Roman citizen is is a crime. To flog him is an abomination. To slay him, almost an act of murder. To crucify him is what? There is no word that can possibly describe so horrible a deed. That's how bad crucifixion was. To crucify one, it was only reserved for the worst of the worst. And yet, Jesus, our King, our Savior, our God, endured all these things that he just named. He was bound, he was flogged, he was slain, he was crucified. Not a man, but our God. It was such a brutal punishment that Isaiah chapter 52, it says that his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. If you know the passion of the Christ and, you know, the images depicted through that movie, it's hard to watch. You know, the way that the body of a person is so disfigured, even on the way to the cross as they're flogged, and especially as they hang there with every breath, you know, leaving their body. And there is our God, hung up on a cross. You know, as, as our Jesus, you know, was on the cross, he spoke seven times. And today I just want to go through three of the things that he said, or three of the seven, 
as he took his last breaths on the cross. I wish I could go through all seven, but we'll go through three. And the first thing that our Jesus said while on the cross, this is the first thing he said, is this. He said, Father, forgive them. Luke 23, it says, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and they cast lots to divide his garments. All right, children, this is the first thing. He said, Father, forgive them. Right, you can just maybe memorize that part. Now, Jesus isn't just saying this. He's praying this. The first words he says is not to man. It's lifted up to God. In his greatest moment of distress, Jesus turns to the Father. Right, in our greatest moments of distress, do we first turn to God and speak to him? Not only does Jesus cry out to the Father, but as he cries out, he doesn't cry out to the Father for himself. Not for his pain and for the humiliation and for the injustice of this moment. He doesn't cry out for himself. As he cries out to the Father, he cries out to the people around him. Those who have inflicted the pain that he is now enduring. Those who have shamed him and mocked him and spat at him. He prays for them. Father, forgive them. Rather than cursing his condemners or calling down angels to slay the soldiers or exterminate the executioners, Jesus prays for their forgiveness. I don't know if you've ever been wronged, felt wronged, felt on the wrong side of injustice. This is unfair. You know, our perfect Lord, Our God of infinite worth has been the recipient of this and even more at the hands of these evil men that are around him. They'd stripped him of his clothing and left him near naked. But Father, forgive them. They'd crowned him with thorns. But Father, forgive them. They mocked him, spat at him humiliated him, flogged him. His body is torn to shreds and they finally crucified him. Every last breath that he takes on the cross is a tsunami of searing pain. It is an effort, a torturous battle to breathe when you're on the cross because you need to lift yourself up to breathe and you're pulling on the the weight of your body on the cross just to take a breath only to exhale and go down while your back is rubbing on the roughness of the cross and your back has been shredded. And even though every breath is torturous, Jesus is willing to waste his breath to pray for the people around him. And he says, Father, forgive them. These evil men that have arguably done the most evil deed in all of History, kill God. Father, forgive them. These people had left Jesus in disgrace, but Jesus, he leaves them with his grace. And that is our God, a God that forgives. Now, let's not be mistaken. When Jesus prays, Father, forgive them, them, it is, it is you. Them is me. Right? Them is us. 
We're not standing on the outskirts merely observing this moment. We're not standing with Jesus defending him. We are they. We're the crowd that once sang Hosanna, but now we cry out, crucify him. We're the soldiers who've mocked and spat in the face of Jesus. We're the disciples so quickly abandoning our Lord at the first sign of trouble. We are the sinners whose evil deeds have put Christ on the cross. We are they. But thank you, Jesus. He doesn't speak curses on us. He doesn't condemn us. He prays, Father, forgive them. And even today, as Jesus is standing at the side of our God as the high priest, he's interceding for us. And I I believe he hasn't stopped praying this prayer. Father, forgive them. Even the worst, even the most evil, Father, forgive them. That's the first thing Jesus said on the cross. The second thing we're going to look at is the fourth of the seven things he says, but the fourth thing, or the second thing we look at is, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? In Matthew chapter 27, it says, And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? If I'm correct, this is the first time Jesus has addressed God as God. Every other time when Jesus speaks to the Father, he says, Father. But here on the cross, as he talks about his forsakenness, he addresses him as God. And I think that's to emphasize the distance in that moment. The length of the forsakenness that Jesus felt as he hung there for our sins. The question he asks is, why have you forsaken me? Now again, have you ever felt forsaken? I think we all have. We lift our eyes to the heavens and we cry out to God, this is unfair. Why have you left me? Why have you abandoned me? To fend for myself, right, in this situation. But the truth is, we don't have the faintest idea of what it is to be forsaken. At least not yet. On this earth, we never truly know what it is to be forsaken. We may feel forsaken, but Jesus, he was forsaken. In that moment, as Jesus was suspended between heaven and earth, all of earth turned its back on Jesus. And they forsake, forsook him. His creation, the crowds, the Romans, Fellow Jews, the religious leaders, his hometown, his disciples abandoned him. And all of heaven had forsaken him. Jesus had carried upon himself our sins. His father, or should I say God, looked upon him not as his perfect beloved son, but as if he was a sinner. As if he had committed the very sins you and I have committed. And there he poured out his anger and wrath on Jesus. There between heaven and earth, everyone turned their back on Jesus and he was completely and utterly forsaken. He was completely alone in that moment. 
He who had never known loneliness because he had only known perfect communion in the Trinity had now felt the greatest loneliness I think that maybe anyone had ever felt in all of history. And this forsakenness was a cost of our forgiveness. Right? The first thing Jesus said, Father, forgive them. The cost of praying that prayer was this moment when he would cry out to the Father, why have you forsaken me? In order to accomplish forgiveness, he had to endure forsakenness. And his forsakenness has secured for us our forgiveness. We're forgiven because Jesus was forsaken. And if he was not forsaken, we would have no chance of being forgiven for our failures and our sins. We would still be drowning in all of our failures and our wrongdoings. And if we did not need forgiveness, Jesus would not be there. He's there on the cross because of our sins. Right? Forsaken, you know the song? Forsaken for the sake of you and I. I think that's the lyrics of a song. He was forsaken for the sake of you and I. And he prays this and asks this that we may never have to ask it to God. We're forgiven and he's forsaken. And third, this is the second last thing Jesus says. He says this, it is finished. In John chapter 19, it says, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. On the cross, Kingsway, we're forgiven, he's forsaken, and it is finished. What's finished? Only the greatest task ever accomplished in the history of time. The undoing of the ruin that Adam had brought to the world, finished. The perfect life, completely obedient right until the very last breath, finished. The perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God, shed his blood once for all, finished. The gates of heaven now opened. Devil's plans smashed. Our salvation secured. God's wrath completely satisfied. The price of sin paid, it is all finished. It's done, all taken care of. The phrase, it is finished, it's a single word in the Greek, and it's a word that they use for financial transactions. It's like someone stamping a receipt saying, paid in full, done, nothing more owing, no debt owed. The price paid. And like that, Christ on the cross, he stamped our lives with his blood and it is done. Nothing more owing, no more debt to pay, nothing for us to give. It is finished. The story of salvation, he has won it. Victory is his. And just as the father finished his work of creation on the sixth day, the son has finished his work of the new creation on the sixth day of the week, right on the Good Friday. And it is finished. The new creation, the new covenant has now begun.
And so when Jesus proclaims it is finished on the cross, that's not a cry of defeat. It's a cry of triumph. It's not a sigh of relief. It's a proclamation of victory. He has done it. What no one else could do. Read through the Old Testament. Every person failed. Every great king failed. Every great leader failed. Where everyone failed. Where man has failed, Jesus is victorious. Our incredible Jesus. He did the impossible. The greatest miracle. He has undone it all. Our salvation is secure. And so they're the three things I'm leaving with us. And again, if you're a child here, these are three things maybe you can remember. Jesus said that we're forgiven, that he's forsaken, and it is finished. Now on the Sunday, Jesus rose from the dead. We know just around the corner, we can't help it. It's just to celebrate, right? It's kind of in every song. It's like, you know, the last verse, he rose. And that was the proof that indeed it was finished, right? The proof that he did, he killed death, he paid the price. But today we're just going to sit at the cross. Now remember that it is we that put him on the cross, and it is he that was forsaken in our place. And if you're a non-believer here today, we're going to pray in a moment. But if you're not a Christian, if you've never believed in Jesus before, or maybe you've taken steps back, you've taken a break from church and taken a break from Jesus, I want you to remember that on the cross, Jesus, he cried out for your forgiveness. Father, forgive him. Father, forgive her. And right now, he intercedes on our behalf for our sin. But he didn't just plea for our forgiveness. He paid the price for our forgiveness as he was forsaken there. On the cross, the full wrath of the Father poured out on him for our sins. And it is paid for, finished, stamped, it is done. So that if you believe in Jesus today, truly believe, it is done. And there is nothing more that you will owe. Even if tomorrow you fall and you stumble, it is still finished. And your sins are still paid for. And if you are a believer, we sit under these amazing truths that we know today on Good Friday. And we praise Jesus for them. So let's close our eyes. And let's spend a bit of time in prayer. Again, Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them. Why have you forsaken me? And it is finished. We are forgiven. He is forsaken. And it is finished. I just want to invite every one of us, whether we are Christian or not, to come before Jesus. Consider him hanging on the cross. Consider the cost of our salvation. The extent that God the Son had to pay in order to win our souls, and commit our lives and put our faith in him today. Can we make that our prayer? Let's spend a bit of time in prayer. Let's pray.
And we're going to go into a time of communion. And so just in a prayerful spirit, we're going to partake in what we call communion or the Lord's table. And I want to do something different. I want to follow the three points of, um, I guess, the sermon to guide us in our time of communion. And firstly, we'll look at the phrase, Father, forgive them. Communion is, um, the literal word for communion, koinonia, is, it means fellowship. And as we come to the Lord's table or we share in communion, it's a time where we partake in fellowship with Jesus. That's the kind of point, the table, the idea of us sitting with Jesus like he did in the final meal with his disciples. We, we sit with him as we share this meal and we remember him. And the thing is, we have no right to be at the Lord's table. We are sinners, you know, wretched. We are enemies of God and he's holy. And we don't get to be in the same place. But remember, Jesus prayed and enabled, Father, forgive them. And it's his forgiveness that allows us to be at his table. Right? It's his forgiveness that allows us to share in a communion with him. And as Christians, in one sense, we're always in communion with Jesus. His spirit lives in us and we walk with him daily. But as we share in this communion, right, the bread and the cup, we um, kind of in a special way have fellowship with Jesus. But all of it is made possible by the forgiveness that is won for us. But what that means is, is that not everyone gets to share in what we're doing today. Now, the forgiveness of God that Jesus won for us in Christ, that is available to everyone. I want to make that clear. The forgiveness of God is available to everyone if we would believe in Him, right, in Jesus in faith. But communion is reserved for those who have received that forgiveness, right? Because forgiveness is what enables us to have communion with Christ. And what that means is if you believe in Jesus, you can share in this communion. If you believe in Jesus, you've been forgiven, you have communion with Jesus, and so we're going to partake in communion. But if you don't believe in Jesus, that means you haven't received forgiveness. And so I'm going to kindly ask that as we share in the bread and the cup, that you don't, you don't take the elements. Everything else I want you to join us in, prayer, reflection, singing, yes. But until you believe in Jesus, communion, the act of communion, is, you know, it's, it's, it's barred from you, unfortunately. Now, if you believe in Jesus now, you believe in Jesus five minutes ago, and in your conscience, right, you know you're right with God, feel free to share. Right, it's, this is between you and God and for you to gauge right, where you are with God. And so just to clarify, what that means is, number one, if you're not a believer, please refrain from communion. And that includes kids, even if they are baptized. Um, just looking at the general age of the kids here. And we do wait for them to personally profess faith in Jesus before they can share in communion. And so... I'll let the parents gauge your kids, but kind of at that young age, we kind of wait for confirmation when they're in their teenage years. And if you're an unrepentant believer and there is sin in your life that you're unwilling to let go of and you know that's hindering your relationship with Christ, you should deal with that first before you share in communion. And so repent of that sin 
and share in communion. But if you're unwilling to repent, again, I'd invite you to refrain from taking communion and just be prayerful and wrestle with your sin today. At the end of the day, uh, whether we partake in the elements or not, the purpose is the same for us all. Today's a time of reflection. It's a time of remembering Jesus and a time of repentance for us all. And so whether you take the bread or not, reflect, remember, repent. And it's not a shameful thing to not join in communion. To be honest before God is the most important thing. And so if you're going to refrain from it for whatever reason, no one's going to judge you. No one deserves to judge you. Just you and God, just wrestle with God. That, that's what today is about. But if you are a believer in Jesus, I'm going to invite you to come to the front and you're going to take these kind of self-contained communion sets just because of COVID. It's COVID safe. Um, and then you'll sit back down. And so if you are a believer, I want to invite you now to kind of come to one of these um, tables and to take a set and to sit down. But for all of us, let's just reflect Reflect on Jesus who forgave us. Yeah, come on. Please don't open up the, the, the pack yet. Um, we'll do it together. But let me pray for us at this time. Let me pray. Let me read Psalm 5. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Yes, God, we come before you only able to come before you because Christ has prayed and enabled our forgiveness so have mercy on us today cleanse us from our sin you know the deepest darkest secrets of our lives and yet your grace and mercy is still 
available to us. We bank our lives on Christ and the cross. Forgive us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As we partake in the bread, I want to invite us all to remember and repent. One of the purposes of communion is for us to remember, remember our Lord. You know, twice in these verses, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. And so we remember his body broken on the cross like, you know, normally we'd have one piece of bread and we'd break it into pieces so that out of the one bread, many may partake. And like out of the one body of Christ, many might might partake in his salvation. And that also that the many would be joined together in that one body of Christ as we are the church. We remember his blood that was poured out on the cross to wash our sins. And we remember his forsakenness today. The God, the man who cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We remember the cost of our sin and our forgiveness. Jesus abandoned by all of heaven and earth. We remember that for our forgiveness, he was forsaken. And so I invite everyone here to remember and repent in prayer. But for the born again believers who have the, the, the cup, you need to peel off the clear part. There are two tabs. Clear off the clear foil. And in your timing, um, partake in the bread. And let's spend a bit of time remembering our Christ who was forsaken for our sins. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, you said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. God, as we have received this bread, help our souls soar to the deeper reality that we have received you, the living bread, into our lives and into our souls. You, Jesus, who knew no sin, you bore our sins in your body and you became sin so that in you we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, you suffered death in your body that we might too die to death and be born again to new life. Bread of heaven, we feast in remembrance of your body given for us, you who was forsaken so that we might never be forsaken. Amen. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As we partake in the cup, I want to invite us all to receive and rejoice. You know, we rejoice because Christ declared on the cross that it is finished. Once for all, Jesus undid the ruin of sin. Once for all, he secured our salvation. He has ushered in the new covenant for us. You know, the blood of the Passover lamb used to be shed for the people of God. But it was an imperfect form, repeated over and over again. But in Christ, the blood of the ultimate Passover lamb, the lamb of God, was shed once. And that's enough to shield us from all of our sins forever. To shield us from judgment and death forever. And that's what we celebrate was finished. And so we rejoice today that Christ's death was final and sufficient that he paid our debt in full, that there's no need for us to add anything else. We rejoice that nothing can change our position as children of God, not yesterday and not tomorrow. If we truly have faith in Christ, nothing can change it. And we rejoice that all of Christ's promises assure that Christ has won the victory on the cross. And though the devil is roaming around, victory is his, is Christ's. And one day he'll come back to claim that victory that he has already won. And so I invite everyone here to receive and to rejoice in prayer of what Christ has done. And so for the born-again believers, in your timing, you know, partake in the cup, peel the metallic foil, and to receive the cup, and to continue just in a prayerful attitude as we think about Christ who has done it all for our sake. Let me pray, and then we'll stand to sing a song. Lord Jesus, we receive the cup into our bodies, and in faith, we receive you into our lives. We receive all that you have finished for us. You have done it all. You have completed your task. You have done the impossible. You have saved our souls. You've rescued us from ourselves. You've made us white as snow. You've made a way for sinners such as us to be called children of God. It is done and there is nothing more for us to do. We affirm with all of our hearts, this is all my hope and peace, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And it is in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand on our feet and let's sing our final song.